You're listening to Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. Curiosity is a willing, a proud, and eager confession of ignorance. I like it. I like it. I'm going to keep it. Back in the days before the world shut down, I participated in a STEAM fair, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, for middle school students hosted at American University. One sunny fall day, we set up a table and tried to engage the passing kids in exploring and talking about curiosity. You know that feeling that you're getting right now, like, like what? What's going on here? That, that is an example of curiosity. And how about now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm curious about now. Life. Life seemed like a pretty obvious answer for people on the cusp of young adulthood trying to figure out what lies ahead. And almost as often as I got the answer life, I would get the answer death. Hopefully a little further removed, but certainly what lies ahead for all of us as well. Who among us isn't at least a little curious about what it means to face the inevitable? This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I went home that evening promising myself someday I would do a show about how curiosity shows up at death. In fact, the science fair wasn't the first time death has come up. In one of my very first interviews with neuroanatomist and all-around inspiration, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, we honed right in on this idea of attending to the unknown. If I become ill and I know I'm going to die, then I may have fear of the unknown or I may be curious about the unknown. And when people do become ill, different people around us start to behave differently. Mm, and I can yeah, either be curious about that or I can approach that with fear. So it made sense to me to seek out someone who's made a choice to actively involve themselves with these questions and help the rest of us do the same. Valoria Walker is an end-of-life doula and advanced care planning trainer and is the founder of her own private practice, Doula by Destiny. She partners with organizations to promote the significance of advanced care planning for medical emergencies and holistic care at the end of life. As an ambassador bringing awareness of the end-of-life doula movement, Valoria's desire is for everyone to achieve comfort, and peace at the end of life. She has a master's in management of aging services, but as she would say, receiving a degree is an accomplishment. Having compassion is a gift. As I prepared for this conversation, I realized she really embodies compassionate curiosity. I think you'll see why. So welcome, Valoria. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. So I want to start right there with compassion, because it occurs to me that compassion is a gift, as in a fortuitous, likely innate skill that you clearly have, but that grows the more you give it or share it, like a gift. So the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh says, compassion is a verb. Is that how you think about it? I do, you know, and I do believe whatever you give out, you get back in return. 
and for compassion as a human being, I think we just, we're born with that, you know, and that goes with us until the end. And so spreading that out to others only makes the entire universe and environment a positive and a pleasant place for all of us to live in. So I look at it as an action compassion, as compassion, as an action verb. Nice. I know you came to this work through your own experience with the death of your mom, which was much harder than you thought it <laughs> needed to be. And I wondered if you might tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I often start my story with my mom. I, I lost her in 2011 to a hospice um, negative experience. And basically, we admitted her to make a long story short. And within two hours, she was administered some powerful medication. Um, and my mom eventually went to sleep. You know, no one told us that the medication that was administered, she may wake up, she may not. And about a day or so later, I asked the hospice nurse, you know, well, is she going to wake up? And she emotionally looked at me and said, well, sometimes they wake up and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned. Um, a cold chill rushed through my body. I kind of looked at her and blinked like, I can't believe she just said what she said. And I'm like, they do you know they are paying for your salary, first of all? And how can you be so unempathetic to even speak that to me? And um, a couple of days after that, my mom still did not wake up. And we wound up losing her Friday, Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, And my brother was in flight. My mom passed away at 6 p.m. My brother got in about 1045, so he had no, absolutely no time with her, you know, at all. And so I remember sitting in her room that evening and it just came over me that this has to be different. It has to be different for individuals. It has to be different for the patient. It has to be different from family members. And now that I have experienced it, I have to fill in that gap and I have to make that change. So I definitely always talk that my mom's death birthed Dula by destiny into existence. So I say that was her final gift to me and it was an awesome one. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and clearly you feel you were destined for this. I mean, your very name says it, right? right. But but you didn't know this was your path, right? Yeah. So so what does that mean to be an end of life doula? How do you help people with the work of dying? So to be an end of life doula, you you're doing a you're using or wearing a couple of hats. Um and it really starts where the client's journey is. If we are healthy, if they are healthy and they maybe have just gotten a diagnosis of terminal illness or maybe even a chronic um, condition that they're dealing with. As you stated earlier, I am an advanced care planning trainer. So I, I would prefer starting there, you know, to pair, prepare people, help individuals prepare their living will, their advanced directive. Um, naming their healthcare agent if they become unable to speak for themselves. We saw where COVID-19 just caused a whole lot of 
confusion with caregivers and their family members while they was medically induced and trying to get frontline workers to come in and assist them to communicate. And uh, most of that can be totally avoided if we prepare. So as an advanced care planning trainer, that's part of my service. I like to start there and helping individuals prepare for medical emergencies and end-of-life, life-sustaining treatments. When we go into the end-of-life doula, with COVID-19 and us not being able to get into nursing homes and assistant living facilities and hospice facilities, I've converted to providing care over the phone and supporting those who are dying over the phone. I did that you know, during the year of COVID-19, 2020. But prior to that, I would say our main role or task that people who know of us and know about us is actually sitting at the bedside when someone are, when they're in their final hours or their final weeks and supporting them. And really, you know, a lot of times when people get older or we're getting close to death, people talk around us as if you're not even in the room you know, like you have no voice and, you know, people are making medical decisions for you and the doctor's talking to the caregiver and you're capable, like, oh, why is no, you know, I'm here, I'm not dead yet, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? So it's really, and end-of-life doulas are aware of that. So their still focus is on the client. You know, I had a client who was in a hospice facility it was in July. I went in her room. I asked her if she wanted to go outside. She looked at me as if I was crazy, <laughs> you know, and I went to the hospice RN and asked, can we take her outside? She's like, yeah, Val, just um, unlock the wheels and we'll, you know, we'll take her out. We got her outside for about 10 minutes. It was July, like I said, hot. She said, okay, I'm ready to go back in. So we did all of that work. But brought her back in, and the very next day she died. And so, end of life doulas, we think outside of the box. We have the time to sit with the client more so than the hospice staff because the hospice staff that's there nine to five. You know, with us, we are hired, but we're hired to be at the bedside for at least a minimum of four hours, just sitting, talking, or not talking. Uh, holding the person's hand, advocating for getting their hair done. I've asked, advocated for a lady's hair being, you know, taken care of and braided, you know, advocating if the TV is not working, you know, making sure that's working. Um, what's the playlist? Do you have a playlist? Do you have certain music? You, and a lot of times everything is so medically involved, you know, you see the, you, you can't see the forest for the trees. <laughs> you know, and the patient is right there in need and you're taking care of everything else except for what they really need. And a lot of times it's just silence. You know, it's just silence sometimes. So people come to you at all stages of this process and, and obviously they're coming with questions, right? I mean, some of what you're doing in terms of their planning has to be around their own questions about what they want for themselves, what they value, kind of making some hard choices. Are there curiosity practices that you use to help people kind of find the right answers for themselves? Well, that's that's kind of a hard question, Lynn, because 
you know, what's right for me is not necessarily right for them. You know, it's not yeah. a right or wrong answer. But you just, for me, I just start with the basic conversation and I'll allow the client to lead me to the path that they want us to go or their family members to lead them, you know, to the path that they would like to go. But again, I stay focused on the client. Another example, I had a, a older lady who used me as the mediator to communicate to her son what she wanted to wear at her funeral. Hmm. Her son visited her practically every day, but I visit her once a week and I walked in her room one day and she said, Val, I want to talk to you about what I want to wear at my funeral. And so I said, okay, have you talked to your son about this? And she's like, oh, he knows uh, the other stuff, right? That I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. The funeral mm -hmm. director, how they're going to come pick up my body. But she wanted to dive deeper and more intimate in the conversation that she felt like more than likely her son could not handle. So she talked yeah. to me and of course, I'm like, okay, so now we're here today. She's telling me the church colors. She's telling me I want to wear a suit. So now I'm asking, okay, do you want to wear a hat? Do you want to wear gloves? Um, she's like, oh, I want my niece to do my makeup. So I'm driving the conversation based on the conversation she's having with me. And sure enough, I had that conversation with her son later. And he was like, oh, Val, I'm so happy she had that conversation with you because I was going to put her in her, dress her in the usher uniform for the church because she's been the usher for the church for 40 years. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that she would want on that usher uniform. Mom did not want that usher uniform. Mom did not have that conversation with him. She had it with me. And I told him exactly what she wanted. I did go to her service and he uh, he honored mom according to what she had described to me. So that was a conversation that she drove, you know, and used me as the mediator. But then I started asking her other questions to make sure we was honoring her wishes and her values. And she was honored. You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and my guest today is Valoria Walker, a death doula. We're exploring curiosity and the end of life. It sounds like you practice what's called compassionate curiosity, which they define as digging for more information right. without judgment, right. and at the same time, honing in on how people are feeling and thinking and what they need from you in that moment, right? So in that moment, she needed you to be the mediator for this information to her son. You like, you're the embodiment of compassionate curiosity. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that that day, but you know, I again the empathy within me, and I think the empathy that's within end of life duels and people in general causes you to sit and listen to people and and help honor them. That's what we want. Well, and, you know, I mentioned Jill Bolte Taylor in my introduction, and she likes to say, we're all just walking each other home. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you can make that walk an informed walk. Uh -huh. You can make that walk a respectful walk. You can make that walk a compassionate walk, or you don't. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and I would prefer the good walk. 
I think we all would. I think we all would. I found my way to you actually through folks involved in the death positive movement, which I think has, you know, was looking to sort of change how curiosity shows up around death. I actually attended a, a death cafe that was offered through Arlington Public Library. I've done some reading in terms of, you know, these efforts to sort of allow people to be curious about death. I feel like a lot of people felt like they couldn't be curious about it. It was a little taboo. Do you think, do you think attitudes are changing about death? Yes, I do. And I think if I want to look at anything that COVID-19 has, you know, done anything in a positive way is changing the atmosphere of death because Mm -hmm. it was in our face basically every day. Prior to that, most of us, you know, it was like, oh, if I talk about it, I'm going to die or why am I going to talk about it or I'm going to die anyway, so why should I care? But when we saw how death was being changed in our face through the news media and that, no, we could not get away with it, that has helped open up the, the eyes of, okay, maybe I should prepare, you know. We prepare about everything else, so why not, you know, prepare about uh, a death? The one thing we definitely know is coming. Yeah, exactly. I often say, you know, when you're on the way to getting married, do you wake up that morning and go to the bridal dress, you know, store and pick up your dress on the way to your wedding? You don't, (laughs) you know? So it's like, let's prepare for this. So I definitely think death has actually become a conversation at the kitchen table of many people. And I would suggest it continue, you know, that way. Normalizing the conversation makes it less taboo and less uncomfortable. And the more that you talk about it and realize you're not going to die because you're having a conversation about it, it gets easier. And the burden and the knot that's in your throat and the nervousness eventually goes away once you continue to have the conversation. So I'm thankful about, you know, the deaf cafes and the deaf positive movements and the end of life movement that is changing our um, conversations at the basic, at the kitchen table, dining room, living room, you know. Are there ways that people can initiate those conversations? Because they are conversations, they are hard conversations to have. And, you know, you think about having those conversations with your parents or having those conversations with your adult children. Do you have suggestions or kind of opening questions that you encourage people to use to enter into those conversations? Well, I can go with the experience that I had with my son. And I can actually say more, I would say millennials or young adults are having more Uh, having a harder conversation talking to their parents than the parents talking to the the children Mm -hmm. Um, from what, you know, I've listened to and dealt with over the past year. And I know when I lost my mom in 2011 and my son and I went through, you know, our grieving process in the middle of that, I started talking to him about what I would like to have. And initially he would slip out of the room you know, in the middle of the conversation. And um, I said, okay, you know, and he would come back and uh, come over my house a month or so later, a couple of weeks later. And, 
you know, I would say the same thing. I, you know, you're my only child. I, I need a healthcare agent, you know, and that went over the course of years. And 2018, he walked into my house and sat at my dining room table and said, Ma, this is what I want you to do mm. if I become unable to speak for myself. I literally want to fall out of my chair, but I did not. <laughs> You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> and so I, I really would suggest telling others what you want to have to be honored instead of pulling and forcing. Well, we need to do this. We need to do the will. If you do this, we get ready to retire. You know, we having grandchildren. No, don't force the conversation because you're not going to get anywhere. You know, open up. Well, this is this. My mother died or my father died or, you know, your father died. I don't want to be in that situation at the end because we saw how it could have went better. So this is how I want to be honored and break it up in pieces. You don't have to have the whole conversation. You know, I often tell people advanced care planning is really talking about if I become unable to speak for myself. And with COVID-19, many people became unable to speak for themselves, but many people recovered. So it's not advanced care planning. I often debunk it and say it's not about death or end of life. Let's just prepare if we are not able to speak for ourselves. Nice. And then we can break it up a month later and start talking about, okay, if I do not recover and the doctor is saying, you know, I have six months or I have 30 days, then take up the first piece. This is what I want to have, you know, done. And so I think breaking up the conversation and having a continuous conversation, not forcing it on people and keeping the focus on yourself and saying, this is the gift. This will be your gift to me. This is how I want you to honor me. This is the burden that I want to take off of you you know, and present it that way in a conversation. You're lifting the burden from them to say, you know, to think about their own mortality. They're now just listening to you talk about your own mortality. So I think that's how I will present it. And that's how it worked for me and my son. So, you know, it works. If it works, don't break it. (laughs) That's what I would suggest. (laughs) I love that. And I think, Oh, it's so wise. It's so wise. And and you sort of, you speak to that in this lovely piece that you did in the October 2020 Oprah's O magazine yeah. on this collection of reflections and stories on death, including your parting Thank gift you. piece, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, talk about putting these conversations into the mainstream. It hardly gets better than Oprah. <laughs> so, so kudos to you. Well, before... Before I let you go, are you game for my big jar wannabe analogy? <laughs> yes, I am. All right. All right. Okay. <clears throat> You're a good sport. All right. So I have my big jar. Okay. I'm going to take out a slip for you, me, and the audience. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Okay. Yours is scissors. Um, and mine is clothes hangers. So do you want to go or you want me to go? I'll let you go first. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So how is curiosity like a clothes hanger? 
Well, um, it's a real utility item, right? Um, we hang clothes on it, obviously, but you can also unwind it and use it as a tool. You can get into your car. And and I think curiosity is like that. It's a utility that we can use in a lot of both expected and unexpected ways in our daily lives. So that's how I'll say curiosity is like a clothes hanger. How is curiosity like scissors? Well, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, when you look at a pair of scissors, you have to, first of all, assume that you're going to use your hands, you know? So again, it's the unknown, just like that. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at this tool, but you know, if you don't really have any knowledge about it, you don't know how to use it. I think in in response to that and curiosity, once you realize how to use it, you can use it in a negative or a positive way. You can use scissors to damage people. You can use scissors to damage yourself. You can use scissors to bring your life to an end. But you can also use scissors for its main purpose, which is cutting items out, you know, cutting items up. You can use scissors to cut a heart out of a piece of paper. You can use scissors to create a flower out of a piece of material. So you can use it for both positive and negative ways, but everything is built around curiosity and it's based on the curiosity that you have inside as far as how you would use scissors in a negative or positive way. Wow. Yeah. Nice job. Thank you for that. Thank you. And audience, yours is uh, Thanksgiving turkey. How is curiosity like Thanksgiving turkey? Let me know. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Val, thank you so much for this conversation and for the really important work that you do. I think, you know, this year, as you say, it's made it that much more evident to the rest of us. Yes. But thank you for all of that. Thank you. I appreciate this time together, Lynn. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all my shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your Thanksgiving turkey analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Valoria Walker, and to Sarah Farr from Death Positive DC, who pointed me in her direction. More about Doula by Destiny and other death-related resources on my website and at doulabydestiny.com. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Spinning Meter by The Depot via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. just think allow people the space you know that's also a part of end of life doula allow people to have the space to talk to you and respect them if they don't want to talk to you about end of life but you continue to talk like I emphasize you continue to talk about your your wishes and your values but allow people and respect people's space and give them the compassion 
that they need. But continue to talk about it. It'll normalize. And before you know it, you may be surprised. They may come to you <laughs> and tell you exactly what it is that they want. So just to kind of re re reemphasize that message, yeah. Just keep talking about death. It'll it'll be it'll get easier and easier with each conversation.